Well, I want to <clears throat> apologize for last week. Um, I called off church because I was leaving with the impression that many people wanted to go to the auction and so forth. And, and so while I'm there, I realized that the only one from my class that was there was me. So uh, that ain't going to happen again. So, uh, so I did go to the bonfire. So uh, saw a bunch of the high schoolers, but that was about it. Um, but I was there, praise the Lord. Also wanted to let you know that I uh, heard from Jimmy Rushton last night. We've been praying for him and uh, <clears throat> found out that actually what happened was he broke his neck and his collarbone. And uh, so anyway, he's no longer in Iowa City. He's in uh, Davenport in a facility there. And so, uh, but he, I mean, his voice sounded a little weak, but he seems to be doing fine. And so let's just continue to pray for his complete healing and restoration. And then of course, uh, we need to be praying for the dis recovery of the disasters, including the one in in uh, Las Vegas. And uh, you know, the devil's an evil foe. You know, here you have a bunch of people just out to have a little entertainment, and he brings death and destruction. And and uh, don't. Don't be deceived into thinking that because it's sin city that it was God's judgment on it. Uh, that's <clears throat> ignorance gone to seed and producing a harvest. Uh, it was a thief that's come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll do it in any way, shape, or form that he can. And so uh, let's be wise. Amen. We're wise because we have the Word of God. And so tonight we're going to continue our series. We've been looking in the book of Galatians and uh, uh, we're going to be finishing chapter 3. So if you turn to Galatians 3, um, we're going to start there. <clears throat> really in, in Galatians, the last part of the chapter especially, um, it's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, <clears throat> you know what's so ironic about it is uh, we, we talk so much about it, but I really question how much we really understand about the Abrahamic covenant because, um, you know, when we begin to talk about covenant and so forth, <clears throat> the Abrahamic covenant was a non-conditional covenant. In other words, uh, it's, it doesn't change. Uh, and it was, and we'll see this as we go along this evening, that it was based on a promise. And it was based on a promise from God. And because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that promise that he made to Abraham, that covenant that he made with Abraham does not change. Now the other thing that we're, we're going to be looking at tonight, because what we see in this portion of Scripture is that there's a continual theme, there's a continual comparison that goes through the book, and it's a comparison 
uh, between the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant, um, where the Abraham covenant was, was unconditional. <clears throat> the covenant with Moses was conditional. It was conditional from the standpoint that it, it de depended upon their actions, depended upon their keeping of the law, the rules, the regulations that were laid down. Where if you really go back and you study Abraham, we don't have time to do that through this series, but I'd encourage you to, to do that. Go back to the book of Genesis and read the account of Abraham and what you find out about Abraham was the blessings that came upon Abraham, he had absolutely nothing to do with it. It wasn't because of his actions, it wasn't because of anything that he had done, it wasn't because he earned it. It was because, if I can use this term, it was because of the grace of God. It was unmerited favor, he did, did absolutely nothing. And in fact, if you really study the life of Abraham, he did more to not deserve it than he did to deserve the blessings of God. And, uh, and so it's, a, it's an unconditional covenant. And, and so the, the Moses covenant, uh, it was based on conditions, on, on keeping the law. And uh, before we get into Galatians in, in, in Colossians, the second chapter, it says concerning Jesus, and it says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, was, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2.14. He's nailed it to the cross. And so when Jesus said it was finished, he was saying it was finished. It was, you know, Jesus didn't do away with the law. And again, when we're talking about the law, we're talking about more than the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the first five books of the Old Covenant. And when Jesus said it was finished, it, it, he wasn't saying it's been, it's been taken out of the way. He was saying it's been fulfilled. Because Jesus didn't do away with the law, he fulfilled the law. He did what absolutely no man was able to do. He fulfilled the law. At the cross, two things happened. This is in your notes. The law was put out of the way, and the Abrahamic covenant was ratified on God's part. The law was put out of the way, and the Abrahamic covenant was ratified on God's part. Well, what, how was this done, or what does that mean? Um, the covenant of God with men were always sealed with, with, with blood, with the shedding of blood, the spilling of blood in one way or another. That's why you know, we see it um, under the Mosaic, Mosaic Law covenant. It was the blood of bulls and the blood of animals and so forth. And one of the things that the and remember, don't ever lose sight of what we're really dealing with here. We're talking about 
Paul addressing the church in Galatia because of the Judaizers, which had come down from Jerusalem, which were saying that the, the, the message of grace isn't enough, that there has to be law added on or tacked onto this. And so always remember that this is what Paul was addressing. And so one of the things that they were addressing, they were saying that um, they, 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 that being saved, receiving Jesus wasn't enough. <clears throat> they needed to obey the law. In other words, they had to be, be circumcised. If you were really saved, you were circumcised. And, and if, if they accepted that part, if you were really spiritual, you were circumcised. And they, they, they used Abraham as an example. And so that's why Paul is addressing this from that standpoint, because remember we talked about this um, before, that Abraham was reckoned or he was considered righteous, not because of anything that he had done, but God reckoned or God considered Abraham to be righteous and 24 years later, he was circumcised. And so the circumcision was uh, on man's part because there was, there was blood that was shed. But it was never ratified on God's part because God doesn't bleed. And so how, how was this gonna be done on God's part? Well, it was ratified on the cross because God who became flesh in the person of Jesus shed his blood. And so that covenant of promise that was made to Abraham some 2,000 and who knows, 3,000 years ago, was ratified on the cross when Jesus shed his blood. And so that's what Jesus is, is, is addressing. He's, he's shedding his blood. He's, he's ratifying that covenant. And so in this last part of Galatians, the third chapter, there's, there's really, and again, this is in your notes so you can see it for yourself and study it for yourself. But there's really three different sections in this portion. It's comparing the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant which we could also say it's a comparison of law versus grace or faith versus works. And so we're talking about these covenants. Now, like I said, this portion of scripture is divided into three sections. The first section, verses 15 through 18, is talking about the Abrahamic covenant. And so those verses will be talking about that. The, the next section, 19 through 24, is talking about the Mosaic covenant. And then to the end, 25 through 29, he begins to talk about how it affects us. Do you know why I love Paul so much? Because Paul, he understands that these truths, these principles that I'm bringing to you, without application, do absolutely no good. You know, it isn't, it isn't, when we read through the epistles, it isn't a matter of just filling, filling your head with knowledge. It's, it's coming to an understanding, and that's what the Holy Spirit wants to work within us, 
it's, it's bringing us to a level, to a place of understanding where we can take the principles that he's revealing to us so that we can apply it in our everyday life. It isn't just head knowledge. It isn't just getting a whole bunch of information. It's life-changing. When we can take what the revelation of Paul, what he's received, and we begin to go through it. And so let's, let's begin to go through it. And so we're going to start in verse 15 of Galatians 3. And here he begins to talk about the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is not only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or no one adds to it. Now, what's he, what's he talking about? He's calling it a man's covenant. Well, what he's doing is he's bringing it down to a level that we can understand. You know, we, we, we don't often use on a regular basis the term covenant, but, you know, it's talking about a, a contract. It would be the same thing as a will and testament, you know, that it's, it's written, it's ratified. And what he's saying is that when a contract or a covenant is established between two individuals, that covenant or that contract cannot be changed without the agreement of those two individuals. And where a will is concerned, a will is supposed to, <clears throat> when it's established, after the death of that individual, that will isn't to be changed. Because the one individual that's involved with that will is, is no longer present. Now I know our court systems and stuff have changed that. A person can take a will to court and they, they might get it changed or whatever. But that's not how it's supposed to function in, in a covenant. That if, if that covenant is to be changed, is to be changed under the agreement of both of the individuals that are, that are involved. And so he says, he's using this analogy and he's, he's bringing it down to a physical level where we're able to, where we're able to understand it. Then he goes on into the 16th verse and he says, Now to Abraham and his seed. Abraham and his seed. Where the promise was made, he does not say, and to seeds, as to many, but as to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And so, it's very important that we recognize here where it's talking about, and it says seed, it's singular. It's talking about one individual, and that individual, he makes it clear who that individual is that he's talking about, he's talking about um, about Christ. And so two parties are involved in the forming of the covenant between Abraham. It's, it's Abraham and it's Jesus Christ who ratifies it on the part of God. 
And so it's, it's, it's ratified between the two of them, and he says it's, it's, it's singular. Now, the reason that it's singular is that when we're born again, we are in Christ. We're not, it's not plural. We're not in Christ's. We're in Christ. And so though there may be plurality of us, in Christ we're all one. And so that covenant was made between Abraham and it was made between God in Christ is the ratification or the fulfillment of that covenant. Now, then it says, and to seeds as to many. It does not say to seeds as to many. Now, the, the, the Mosaic covenant, it was made in a plural sense. It was made to the Jews, not singular. It was made to, to all the Jews. And so it was between God and it was between the Jews, plural, and that's why it says seeds there, because he's talking about the different covenants, uh, yeah, the different covenants at that point. It's not singular as it is in the Abrahamic covenant, because if you turn over just a little bit to Ephesians, the first chapter, and I'm going to begin reading in the third verse. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, everybody says, has. has. I don't know, I, I mean, I'm from Minnesota, you know, but even in Minnesota, has is past tense. And so it's something that's already taken place. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, where? In Christ. Not in ourselves, it's in Christ. Just as he chose us, once again, past tense, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When was it? Before the foundation of the world. You know why that's significant? Because that means you and I had absolutely nothing to do with it. We were blessed with every spiritual blessing. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. We had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was all Christ that did it. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. We were predestined, and we're going to talk about this more next week, uh, where we begin to talk about adoption and so forth, but we were predestined as adoption as sons. Again, we didn't have anything to do with it. He chose us. You might think that you found God or God found you. Well, he never lost you. It just simply got to the point to where we stopped running from him. We stopped rejecting him. We finally gave place to him and received him as Lord and Savior, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. According to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, I'm glad I'm saved, but it was his will. 
that got me saved. It wasn't my will that got me saved. It was his will that got me saved. It was according to his, the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he had made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness of his grace, which he made to abound towards us, in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he has purposed in himself. In himself, in Christ. It was purposed in himself, in Christ, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In him. Notice he emphasizes in him. We're part of the seed. In him. Over and over again in this verse it says, in him. You know, uh, I would encourage you to just just go through this, this portion of Ephesians and just, if you don't like to make big marks, make a little mark that it draws your attention to in Him. Because it's in Him that it's been accomplished. It's him, in Him that we have covenant. It's because we're in Him. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. Um, let's see. In Him, also, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, has purposed, has chosen before the foundation of, of the world. Again, we had nothing to do with it. It was, it was his grace. You know, <clears throat> We, we, we video, the, video the services every Sunday and we put them on, on Facebook or whatever it goes on. And, uh, but it's on there. But also, periodically, uh, we, our, our taping goes on cable. And I don't know, it's every six or eight weeks or something like that, I don't know what it is. And anyway, this week our, our message was on. And uh, and so I got, a, I got a call yesterday from somebody. And, uh, you know, they, they said, um, could you tell me who that, I, I said, Abundant Life Ministries. And she said, could you tell me who that preacher was on TV on Sunday? I said, well, that was me. <laughs> and, and she says, well, I just, just wanted to thank you. But I, I don't know if you remember my message from Sunday. I know you hear it and, you know. But if you remember it on, from Sunday, I, I emphasized Jesus. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. It's about Jesus. You know, what it, you know what this whole deal is all about? It's about Jesus. Do you know what Galatians is all about? It's about Jesus. And the reason that Paul had to write the book of Galatians was because they were getting their eyes off of Jesus. And they were getting their eyes on to everything else that man was telling them that they needed to do to be spiritual, to qualify for the blessings of God. You're qualified. 
because you're in Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. And then, of course, you're going to say, well, then I guess I can just go out and do whatever I want because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Well, if it's about Jesus in your life, you won't want to. You want to do what pleases him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. It's about his grace. And so then we go on into the 17th verse. I just encourage you to, that, that Ephesians first chapter, just, just spend time in it. Just, it's one of those, you know, a few years ago, you know, you, Bible reading at times can get monotonous. What a terrible thing for a preacher to confess. But it, but it can. I'm, I may be a preacher, but I'm still a human being. And so periodically I'll do things that try to, to mix it up a little bit. And so one year what I did was, I, was, was every month I took one of the epistles and uh, I would read a chapter every day. And so that would mean, you know, like for Ephesians, you know, there's six, six chapters, I think. And so that meant that in, in a month's time, I read through that book um, five times. But that means I read chapter one five times, chapter two five times, chapter three five times, and so on and so forth. But then I wouldn't just, I just, wouldn't just read it, I would... I would take notes and then every, every time that I read through it again, I would upgrade the notes that I had written six days earlier. And you know, don't just, don't just read the Bible. Digest the Bible because it's, it's so full of life and that's that's where I think so often we miss it. And I, I think that's why people, people get into weird stuff. And I think the reason they get into weird stuff is they're, they're, they're looking for something. But it's right in front of us if we'll just spend time looking at it, reading it, digesting it. Verse 17. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God, before my, by God, in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. What's he saying here? He's saying if we try to add to the promise, if we try to add to the covenant, we dissolve it. We we render it of no effect in our life. And so when we try to add to what Jesus has already done, we're in effect saying, Jesus, you didn't do enough. And if Jesus didn't do enough, he didn't do anything. And so it, it says that it makes that covenant then of absolutely no effect. It, it annuls it. And what he's saying here is what he's talking about 430 years later He's talking about the law that was added. And the law was added because of disobedience. And the law was added 
for a period of time. Remember, the, the Mosaic covenant was not an unconditional covenant. It was, it was conditional and it was, it was for a specific period of time, which we're going to see as we continue on here. But the law came 430 years after God's covenant with Abraham. So God not, cannot take away or add to that contract. So the law, because it would be illegal, and so the law was not added to the Abrahamic covenant. It was separate from the Abrahamic covenant. It could not be added because if it was added, it would be done illegally and God wouldn't do that. And so that's the point that he's bringing in here. And he's saying, if, if somebody comes along and tries to add to this, they're taken away from, or they're saying it's of, it's of no value. Um, Paul is saying, <laughs> you dumb Galatians, you have placed God below the level of man. Man can do not, cannot do that. Surely God would not. Abraham never saw the law. Never saw it. Came 430 years after his departure. He never saw the law. And so if Abraham never saw the law, how could he come into agreement to accept the law into the covenant that had already been written? Because for the covenant to be changed, both individuals that are involved in the covenant have to come into agreement with one another. Otherwise, the covenant cannot be changed. God's not going to do it illegally. You know, and that's why, you know, sometimes we talk about um, the legality of the laws and the principles that are, that are in the Word of God. And sometimes we wonder, why, why is that that's so important? It's so important because it allows us to have complete confidence and trust. Because God will never lie. He will never break a promise. That means he'll never break his covenant with you and I. He'll stay true to it to the very end. And so we need to stand upon it. It was given to Abraham by promise, not by law. It's not the Abrahamic law. It's the Abrahamic covenant, which was given to him by promise. And the promise was made through God Almighty. Let's turn over to Romans, the ninth chapter. Are we having fun tonight? Praise the Lord. I just realized I'm getting really serious about this. So I got to get this stupid smile on my face so you all think I'm really happy. Because I am. Because this is really good stuff. Chapter 30 in, in Romans 9. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness by faith. How does the Abrahamic covenant operate? By faith. By faith, Abraham, 
was considered righteous because he, he trusted in God. It was by faith. But Israel pursued the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. How did they pursue it? They pursued it through the Mosaic covenant by trying to keep the laws, the rules, the regulations that were laid down for them in the first five books of the Bible. And it says they never obtained it. They never arrived. Why? Because they didn't do it by faith. Now the interesting thing is if they would have reverted back to the Abrahamic covenant and put their trust in, in, in God completely, which took place after the cross. You know, what, what did the law do? Pointed you towards Jesus. You know, the, um, there, were, there were three different parts. I'm getting ahead of myself. But we'll go there anyway. There are three different parts to, to the law. There was the, the Ten Commandments, the moral law. There was the Christ theology. I think I'm saying that right. That would be the feasts, the festivals, um, the keeping of days and months and years and so forth. All of that pointed to Christ. And then there was the... Um, Oh, now I got to look at my notes. I don't remember what I called it. Social the social law. That would be like, you know, the dietary laws, the of cleanliness and all that kind of stuff. All of that was part of it. And so for the children of Israel, in keeping the law, it was not just keeping the Ten Commandments. They, they had to keep the, all of it, the entirety of it. And he says nobody was able to attained a righteousness, and you know why? Because nobody was able to do it. They weren't able to achieve it. They weren't able to succeed. Why was it that Abraham was able to do it? Because of the simplicity of faith. And what he's talking about here, about the Gentiles, why is it that the, the Gentiles were able to do it? They were able to do it by faith. Because they, they believed God. Why is it that you and I, that we, are the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not going to be the righteousness of Christ someday. We are the righteousness of Christ today. Why? Because of faith. Because we believed what, what Jesus had to say about each and every one. We, we chose to believe what this word has to say about our position in Christ Jesus. And we don't want to be guilty of what the church in Galatia were guilty of. They, they made it of no effect because they began to trust in their selves once again. See, that's, that's the issue. That's why the law was given. The law was given because man began to trust in self. We can't trust in self. We trust in Jesus. And when we put our trust in Jesus, self becomes better. Because we're not doing our thing, we begin to do his thing. Uh, verse 18. 
We got to move on here. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham through promise. You know what? <clears throat> the law is a signpost. It directs you to Jesus. But the thing you got to remember is, just because you've arrived at the signpost doesn't mean that you've arrived at your destination. When we were out in Augusta, I wasn't familiar with the area at all, but, you know, but uh, thank God for phones. But, but in addition to that, I had to look at some signposts. And just because the sign said whatever it was we were looking for, and it pointed that way, didn't mean that we were already there. In other words, when we went to the um, rehearsal dinner, there was a sign pointing you into the the facility it was, it was all along the road. We didn't stop there and stand there and wonder, where's everybody at? No, we, we followed the sign. And that's what the sign was for. That's what the law was for. It was to point them to Jesus. And you know what? The law is still performing that duty because it still shows us that we can't make it on our own. In Matthew 19... It says, Now behold, I came and said to them, Good teacher, what good thing should I do that I might enter eternal life? And so he said to them, to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but, but one, that is, God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to them, Which one? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have, uh, I have kept from my, my youth. What do I still lack? In other words, he stopped at the signpost. And he knew being at the signpost, something here is still lacking. You know what the problem was? This is the problem that I had when I tried to be a good Christian, I never knew if I'd done enough. And so as a result of that, I never had any peace in my life. I remember going fishing in northern Minnesota out in Lake Malak, and we're out in the middle of it and a storm comes up and all I can think about is the fact that, that I'm gonna die and I'm not gonna see my wife and my kids again and I, I sure hope I go to heaven. Gone to church my whole life. I wasn't perfect, but I was better than my brother. I know that. You know, but there was, no, there was no confidence. There was no assurance in that. And that's where this young ruler is. And then he goes on and he says, you know, one thing you still lack. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know, what Jesus was doing, he wasn't, <clears throat> he wasn't trying to lay the law on him. He's trying to locate him. He's trying to position him. That's what the law does, is it, it, it locates us. It shows us where it's at. And you see, he can say that he, he kept all the commandments, but at the very least, he was breaking one. 
I have no other gods before me. And here Jesus is saying, get rid of everything and you follow after me. And he says, I can't do that. Because his money was his God. And so he located him. And he went away sorrowful. Why? Because there was no faith that was involved. He's putting his trust in self. In Romans 4.21 it says, And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. You know what? We can't work for our inheritance. The inheritance has already been given to us. But this is what we can do. We can be fully convinced that what God has promised to us, he's also going to perform it. I don't know about you, I'm totally convinced of that. And you see, that's where the Abrahamic covenant came in because, you know, we, we look at Abraham, we see that he, we don't have time to talk about Abraham tonight, but we, we see how he tried to do it himself. But he had to come back to that place. And just because we forsake it doesn't mean we can't come back. Abraham forsook it and he tried to do it his own way. And he had an Ishmael. Many of us, we have our Ishmaels. I'm not talking about a living human being, but we have things that we've done in our own effort in life. That's an Ishmael. But see, we don't have to stay there. We can, we can come back to God and we can have our Isaac. It's never too late. But then we go on and it tells us what the law was for. Verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added... And again, notice, it was added, but it couldn't have been added to the covenant. Because if it was added to the covenant, then God changed the covenant. Talking about the Abrahamic covenant. What was the purpose of the law? What did it serve? It was added because of transgression. What was the transgression? They tried to do it in their own strength. Till the seed. See, there's a time frame. It was added till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Who's the seed? Christ. Who is the promise made to? Christ. It was between Christ and Abraham. What promise, what purpose does the law serve? But it was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed that through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for only one, but God is one. And so it was given for a, for a specific time frame until the seed materialized that was Christ, who was born of a woman. He was God and he was man, but he walked as a man. He set aside his deity and so he qualified as God to ratify the covenant between he and Abraham. Now under the Mosaic law, the mediator was Moses. All Moses could do, he is supposed to be the mediator between God and man, but Moses, all he could do was identify with man because he wasn't, wasn't God. Again, he proved that a few times as well. But Jesus came 
as the seed, and as the seed, he came to be also the mediator of the covenant. Now, the reason that Jesus qualified so to be able to be the mediator of the covenant was because he is God and he is man. And so he was able to bring God and man together in perfect harmony. You know, we, we have all these individuals trying to sign these treaties. And they bring in a mediator. And they always bring in a mediator from another country. You know, the problem is, is the mediator really doesn't understand either side. You know, what the mediator is supposed to be able to do is to understand both sides and bring the two sides together because he's able to identify with both sides. The mediators that we have in the world, it's an absolute impossibility to do that. Because how can you bring in anyone other than God to mediate between the Palestinians and the Israelis? Because everybody on the face of the earth is on one side or the other. They can say they're neutral, they're lying. That's an absolute impossibility. Nobody is neutral in those affairs. And so they, they bring in these people to, to mediate and they're not able to do it because they don't understand. But we have the perfect mediator. We have Jesus Christ. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. In other words, God, Jesus, Christ, is able to mediate between the two because he's the perfect mediator. Romans 5, 13 and 14, it says, For until the law was in the world, for, for, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned through Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Now, what, is, what does this mean? Death reigned. <clears throat> the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. And so from Adam to Moses, people suffered the consequence of sin, but they didn't know what the problem was. They were trying to do it their own strength. They weren't just simply putting their faith and trust in God. They were continually trying to do things on their own. Why was the law given? So that they could understand that they were falling short of the glory of God. And only through us recognizing our shortcomings, our falling short of the glory of God, do we come to a place where we will receive Jesus, the seed, as our Lord and Savior, so that we can come into that covenant of grace with Almighty God and receive those manifold blessings that he poured out upon each and every one of us. The law was given to Israel only. The law was given to Israel only. It was not given to the Gentiles. I'm gonna read these out of my notes because of time. Exodus 19.3, And Moses went up to God 
And the Lord called him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. He didn't say all humanity, all mankind. He was very specific. The house of Jacob, the children of Israel. Leviticus 26, 48 or 46. These are the statutes and the judgments and the laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Zion by the hand of Moses. Once again, it wasn't a general um, presentation of the law. It was to uh, the Israelites. Romans 3.19 Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so the law was given to those to whom the law was given. Now the, the law is valuable to you and I because it revealed to us that we needed a Savior. There's some more passages there. I just encourage you to go on and read them. Uh, number three, Christians are not under the law. Acts 15, verse 5, it says, But some of this, uh, the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them, to command them to keep the law of Moses. And dropping down to verse 24, Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you, troubled you with words, upsetting your soul, saying, you must be circumcised to keep the law, to whom he gave not such command. So here he's talking to them, and he says, the, the first was, this is what they're trying to do. And then he turns around and says, they're trying to get you to do something that was not given to you to do. And so the law wasn't given to us. Now don't misunderstand me. The law is valuable to us. Because um, it shows us the way to Jesus. Shows us that we need a Savior, that there's no other way than through Him. Um, verse 19, it says in Galatians 2, For I thought the law, um, for I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to Christ. And so we live through Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. He completed the law. Galatians 5 and 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so we know that, well, backing up to Matthew 5, 17. Do not think, Jesus is saying, do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, I came to fulfill. And so the moral law and the social law, Jesus fulfilled in his earthly walk because he lived it perfectly. The second part of it, the Christology, was fulfilled with his death, burial, and resurrection. And so all of that pointed to Jesus. And that's why now, this coming Sunday, we celebrate Holy Communion, which Christ said, do this 
in remembrance of me, in remembrance of what I've already done. The Old Testament saints were never able to do that because everything that they had looked forward to the coming of Christ. Every feast, every Passover, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was at the end of the week. We celebrate Sunday, why? In faith, because of what Christ is doing for us, what he's already done for us. We, we believe that our week is gonna be wonderful. Amen? Because of what Christ has already done. So everything we do, we do in faith. We look back to the completed works of Christ, but we look forward knowing what he has made available to us that we might be able to walk in the fullness of it. Let's jump down to Galatians. You can, you can read all that for yourself. Listen, I gave you all those scriptures for you to look up, and I just know every one of you are going to read them. <clears throat> and so we... Oh, I can't pass that up. The law had limitations. It cannot justify. We saw the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. The law could not justify him. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have, we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So you can't be justified. You cannot give, it cannot give life. The law cannot give life. Galatians 3.21. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But there was no law that could be giving the, given that could give us life. We receive life by faith in the completed works of Jesus. It cannot provide the Holy Spirit. This only I want to learn from you. We read this in Galatians 3, the first part in verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? It's a rhetorical question, by hearing by faith. And then finally, it cannot produce miracles. Galatians 3, 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? By hearing of faith. And you know what? The greatest miracle any of us will ever experience is the born-again experience. That was a miracle that took place in your life. And the law could not produce that. But faith in Jesus was able to produce that. Galatians 3, 21 and 22. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. How is it done? As we believe. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Galatians 3.23, 
But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. Notice, kept for faith. This word kept carries the connotation as a guard guarding a jail. We were kept by the law. It was our guard until, until Jesus came and it was revealed. Verse 24, Galatians 3, 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. We'll cover this more next week. Um, this word tutor is a word pedagos in the Greek. And it's talking about um, the, the Roman adoption. And like I said, we'll, we'll spend time on that next week. The, the ceremony that took place at the age of 14. And that pedagos, that, um, that tutor, instructed that young person until he reached that age. Galatians 3.25 and, and how it affects us. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. We're going to see this next week. <laughs> how we are considered huos, mature sons of God because of the completed works of Jesus. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And that word sons there is the word huos in the Greek. It's not talking about a technon. It's not talking about a child. It's talking about a mature son. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Next week we'll be talking about how they went through a ceremony. Terra vera. I can't remember the Greek word for it right now. But it's, it's the exchange of your tunic. That he's no longer wearing a, a, a cloak of childhood, he's, re, he's wearing a cloak of adulthood, which means that he's entitled to all the blessings of, of adulthood. That took place when we were baptized, when we were immersed in Christ Jesus, not bat water baptism, when we were born again. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. There is no social distinction, there is no sexual distinction, there is no racial distinction in Christ. We are one, we, were, we are all equal in Christ Jesus. That's why Christianity, a Christian nation, is the only nation that presents women with the same rights as men. You say, well, we, we don't have it. Yeah, well, we're working on it. It's because we don't have enough of the Bible. But you go to any other society, and the woman, the woman is property. And then finally in verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, singular, heirs according to the promise. Talking about the Abrahamic covenant, and the promise belongs to us. And so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we're done for tonight. Be blessed. Well, they ran over four minutes, but they're still doing something downstairs, so I'm okay. <laughs>